God, we love you. And we're thankful for you. We're thankful for everything that you do in our lives. Thankful for all the ways in which you move. And God, we uh, are excited once again to dive into your word. This series has been, been really cool to hear all the things that you have for us from these churches in Revelation. And so God, I just pray that once again that you would speak through me. Don't let it just be my words that are speaking. Let it be your words speaking this morning. And everybody knows that they have left hearing a word from you. God, we, we are here to honor you. We're here to hear from you. Would you open up our hearts and minds to be able to do that this morning? We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're in week five. Week five out of seven in our, uh, in our seven churches of Revelation series. We have been uh, going after these seven churches that Jesus writes to in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3. Uh, and again, I just want to remind you as we get into this, uh, this series is not an end times series. We're not, we're not going to talk about end times. We're not going to go there. It doesn't, it doesn't matter for what we're talking about this series. This series is about now. It's about now times, not end times, now times. How can we take the warnings that Jesus has given these churches in the first well, three chapters of Revelation and heed them in our lives today and for our church today. And so, uh, so far, here's where we've been. We've, we've seen the church in Ephesus in, in Revelation chapter 2, starting at verse 1. And Ephesus, Jesus basically wrote this, I see you. You have some good stuff going on. You're doing some good works. You're persevering. You are holding on to truth, but you have forgotten your first love. You have forgotten me. And there is a danger, as we talked about in Ephesus and last week, about holding on to truth and forgetting love and not lifting up both love and truth. We need to be a church that lifts up both love and truth. Week two, we talked about Smyrna, and Smyrna was a, was a poor church in a very wealthy town. And Jesus says, I see you, I know that you're poor, I know you're being persecuted, but you're rich. You have me. I've got you. And, and, and that question I asked you that week that I hope you've been thinking about and wrestling with is this. If you lost everything, would Jesus be enough? The church in Smyrna said, yes, Jesus would be enough. If I lost everything, which they did, Jesus is enough. Week three and week four kind of were, were kind of connected a little bit in Pergamum and in uh, <clears throat> Thyatira, as we talked about in week three and week four. Both of these churches had let truth into the, had let quote unquote truth into their into their churches into their synagogues into into the places of worship that was not the gospel it was not truth it was not the truth of Christ and they had let all these things in and they had let all these things kind of interrupt what God is trying to do and how they worship him they let worship of idols and worship of other things and 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 acts that are not of God to be part of their daily lives they had compartmentalized what it meant to live for Christ. See, it's not just a, a, I come to church on Sundays and I hear the word and then Monday through Saturday I get to live however I want. It's not compartmentalized like that. But that's how these churches were living. They were kind of living the opposite of the Ephesian church. They were, they were holding up love and they were holding up all these things, but they were forgetting truth. And the same way it was dangerous for the church in Ephesus to hold up truth and to forget love, it's dangerous for us to hold up love and forget truth. To forget the truth of the gospel. And so today, uh, we're going if to, if you missed any of those, you can go check those on the podcast. But uh, this week, I want to jump right in to this church in Sardis. 
The church in Sardis in Revelation chapter 3, we'll be starting at verse 1 if you want to turn there with me. Uh, if you are in one of our pew Bibles, it's on page 1064. Uh, and I just, as you're turning, I want to give you a little bit of background on this church in Sardis. Sardis uh, is, uh, it was once the capital of the, the Lydian kingdom. It was an incredibly wealthy town. This was not a, a, a poor town like Sardis, not a poor church like Sardis. This is an incredibly wealthy town. In fact, uh, there was a kind of a, the myth of how they got their wealth was tied to the King Midas myth. That King Midas, when he wanted to be rid of this curse, to, to the, everything he touches turns to gold, he go washes his hands in the river. They say that when he washed his hands, all of that went down into the Sardis. This is how Sardis got so wealthy, right? That's the, that's the myth of how Sardis is so rich. But Sardis is a very wealthy town, uh, and they are, uh, they are commonly fought over. Uh, this is a town that is, that is fought over a lot of times in its history. But it, the interesting thing is if you, if you read what historians say, this is a town that should have never been won. This is a town that should never have been overtaken. The city was on a high hill. The walls that they had built were, were tall and enormous and wide and thick, and there was no way anybody was getting in unless the people and the watchmen were lazy, which is what happened on at least two occasions. On one occasion, there was an army that was, that was camping outside of the city, just waiting to take the city over, but they knew they could not get into the city. The wall was too thick, it was too tall, they couldn't climb it, they were on the downside of the hill, they had no advantage going into the city. And so they would watch, and on the, on the top of the wall, these watchmen were walking, and one day, a watchman drops his helmet, and it goes over the wall. And so he has to go and get it, and so they're, they're watching this watchman, and they see him, and one minute he's on top of the wall, the next minute he's on the ground, and he gets his helmet, and he walks back into the secret entrance into the wall, and he goes back up to the top. Later that night, this army, knowing where the secret entrance is now, at, at, in the middle of the night, they go into the secret entrance, and they take over the city, and this is how that city was lost. There, that should not have been a city where anybody could conquer were it not for, for laziness and kind of just unwatchfulness. The watch, watchmen are just not doing their jobs. That's the only way this city is being taken. But it has been taken a few times. Right? There was a Persian era in the city. And there's uh, in this, the, the royal road that you read about in these areas. That was built during this time. It actually ends in Sardis. Alexander the Great took over the city. Antiochus the Great took over the city. Uh, and in 17 BC, there was a huge earthquake. And the city is in ruins. And the Romans come and they rebuild the city. And so once again, like all the other churches that we've talked about, all the other four churches, we have a church under Roman rule in one of the, the harshest times ever to be under Roman rule as a Christian. This city, though, is unlike the other cities. In the other cities, being a Christian and worshiping in the synagogue was illegal. You couldn't, you couldn't do it. You had to worship. If you were going to worship God, you had to also worship the emperor. You had to also worship all of these other gods that were in these cities. We talked about the four gods in Pergamum and the city gods and all these other cities. You had to worship all of these or, or you, couldn't, you couldn't just choose God. You can't just choose your God and worship him only. You have to have this. This city was not like that. This city was a, was a city where kind of, there was kind of just a can't we all get along kind of attitude. 
You worship who you want to worship. I'll worship who I want to worship. And we'll just be all good. Well, everybody will just get along. Everybody will, will be happy and healthy. And that's, that's really all that matters. And so you have in this church, we do know that in this city, there was one of the, one of the largest synagogues that was found in the area, in the diaspora, in this whole area. This is one of the largest synagogues. There is a, there is a large community of Christians in this area. They came, uh, well, I mean, before they were Christians, they were Jewish people, right? They came uh, under the rule of Antiochus. There was a large migration of Jewish people to this city. There's a large synagogue here where there was, there was worship. But in the ruins of this city, we kind of get some hints as to what Jesus is writing to this church. Because as they've uncovered this synagogue, they've uncovered the altar of this synagogue, which is really cool. It's a cool altar. You should look, Google it. Uh, and here's, here's what also they found on the side of the altar. They found inscriptions of an eagle holding thunderbolts. And next to the altar, they found two statues of lions in the synagogue. These are both symbols of worship to Zeus. And so in the, in the, the Jewish synagogue, in the Christian church, we have these symbols that are not worship to God. And so they, they, have this, they have this mindset similar to, to Pergamum and similar to Thyatira last week, or kind of anything, anything is good, everything is good, right? And so why can't we do more than one? And so you have this kind of this inclusivity here of, of all the religions in the church, and you can see that there's not really a grasp on truth here either. There's not really a grasp on, on who is the true God. There's no protection of, of their faith. They're not contending for their faith. They're not fighting for their faith. They're not even really trying to convert people to their faith. They're just, everybody just kind of can do what they want to do. This is the church in the city of Sardis. In most cities, the, uh, the, the synagogue, just another sign here that something was up in Sardis. In most cities, the synagogue had a school attached to it. And in this school, you've heard me talk a little bit before about the schooling process in these areas where we're in a synagogue, these, these children would essentially learn the, the Hebrew scriptures. They would begin by learning the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. They would finish, and at the end of by age 14, 15, they would have memorized the entire Old Testament. Now, that's a lot to memorize. It's this much in my Bible. Right? Memorizing the Old Testament is, is kind of a lot by 14 or 15 years old. But this is the kind of school that would be attached to these synagogues. Here there was no school. Attached, sharing a wall with the synagogue was a bathhouse and a gym. And just basically kind of in the center of town, these gathering places where people could come and they would just exchange ideas. You can see this was, this was the priority in Sardis. Everybody can believe whatever you want to believe. There is a central place for, for exchanging ideas, and you can talk politics, you can talk religion, you can talk whatever you want to talk. There is that place, and sharing a wall with it is the synagogue, where worship to God happens, but also worship to Zeus and worship to whoever other God you want to bring in. You can see that there's, there's not really a grasp here on truth. There's not a grasp on the gospel. There's not a grasp on, on anything other than kind of let's all get along. 
And so it's to this church in this area that Jesus writes this letter to Sardis in a city where scripture had kind of taken a back seat in favor of a, a plurality of mind. Jesus sends this letter. And I just want to remind you, this, this church in this city is not under persecution. They are not under any pressure to worship anything other than their own God. There is none of that like we've seen in the other churches, but still there is issues here. So let's turn. Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 1, to the church in Sardis. And again, we're going to go through for the most part, and we'll stop along the way and, and kind of unpack as we go. So Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 1, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Again, Jesus, as he writes these letters, always introduces himself and always kind of uh, talks about himself in a very specific way. He does it in different ways to every single church. Most of them have meaning specifically to that church. This one is kind of one of the more general titles that Jesus gives himself here because we've already seen this title. Excuse me. This title in chapter one, we're going to see it again throughout Revelation. This this title of Him who holds up the seven spirits and the seven stars. We know that these seven stars uh, are the seven angels that are delivering these messages to the churches. Uh, Basically, this is just saying, "I am in control." This is who writes to you. I am the one in control of all of this. I hold everything in my right hand. I am in control. And he moves on. And normally in the other letters, there's kind of a commendation, an encouragement. There's this I see you moment, right, where Jesus says, I know you, I see you. And then he encourages them, like we've seen in, 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 in Ephesus and in Thyatira and in Pergamum and in Smyrna. I, I see you. I know what you're going through. I, I see your deeds. I see your love. I see you holding on to truth. Here in Sardis, there is none of that. There is no positive things that Jesus has to say to this church in Sardis. He says, I know your deeds. And he says, you have a reputation of being alive but you were dead. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Again, there, there's, this, there's no positive here. There's, there's nothing that Jesus says to encourage them. There is this I see you moment, right? And to every church, there's this I see you moment. And so if there's encouragement anywhere, it's this, that God sees them and God knows them. God knows where they are. He knows what's going on. He, he knows all of that. I see you. I know your deeds. I know what you've been up to. There's no good ones, though. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. You have a name. You think you're alive, but you're dead. And you might be thinking, Pastor Chris, well, I mean, there's, there's got to be like a Greek word in there, right, for dead, right? It can't actually mean dead. Jesus isn't actually calling this church dead. There's got to be like a secret meaning here. Nope. Dead is dead. The word for dead means dead in Greek. Right? Jesus is, is calling this, word, this church dead. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Now, imagine how far you have to go for the creator of all things, the, the one who who basically just who left the church to say, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Jesus loves the church. 
Jesus left the church for the world. Jesus, this is the, the church is the way that Jesus gets to interact with the world. And Jesus is talking to this church. He's saying, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're not. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. There is nothing going on here. You are dead. And he continues here. He gives them five commands. He gives kind of five commands to this dead church. First one is this, wake up. Wake up. But hold on. How do you wake up if you're dead? Again, Jesus is the one in control. And it is not out of the realm of Jesus' possibilities to raise dead things to life. We see that in the gospel. We see that in his own life. As he is dead and he's risen again. We see it in the story of Lazarus as he calls into the grave, Lazarus, get out and walk. And Lazarus walks out of the grave. We know that Jesus can bring dead things to life. And so Jesus, after pronouncing this church dead, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Here's what I say to you. Wake up. Wake up. You are dead, but wake up. I mean, two times, those, those two times in the history of this, of this city even, right? Why were they overtaken? Why were they dead? Because they were sleeping on the job, right? This, 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 even, even this command, wake up. I don't know if there's any connection, but it just, it just rings true for this community, right? Wake up. You are dead, but wake up. Wake up. Jesus is not unable to breathe life into this church. So he's saying to them, wake up. Second thing, strengthen what remains. Wake up, strengthen what remains. There is at least a tinge of good stuff here. Strengthen what remains. You're dead, but it's not all lost yet. It's not all forgotten yet. It's not all gone yet. And he keeps going. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. You are not done. I have more for this church to do. There is more on the docket for this church. God has a plan for this church in Sardis. These, these deeds that God has planned for this church are not done. They are unfinished in the sight of my God, Jesus says. They are unfinished in the sight of my Father, Jesus says. There's more for this church to do. Yeah, I pronounce you dead, but I'm saying to you, get up. Strengthen what remains and is about to and is strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Get up, wake up, strengthen what remains. Here's the third thing. Remember. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Remember the message. Remember the gospel. Remember what's important. Remember what you've seen and what you've heard. We know that Paul was here at this church. We know he was, he was in this whole province at all of these churches. It's not beyond the realm of expectation that these people have actually heard the gospel of Jesus Christ from the mouth of Paul. Remember what you've heard. Remember what you've seen. Remember what you've received. It's kind of a similar call to, to Ephesus. It, remember where you were at first. Remember, remember where you were, remember the truth, remember your faith, remember the gospel, remember what you've heard, just remember, think back 
to all of those things that you have heard. Remember them. And the fourth thing he says is hold on to it. Hold it fast. Remember all that stuff that you learned. Remember all that stuff that you heard and received. Remember all of that and hold on to it this time. Don't forget it this time. Don't drop it this time. Don't let anything in the way this time. Just remember it and hold it. Remember what's important. Hold on to it. Hold it tight. Hold it fast. Remember. And the last thing is to repent. And repent. Remember all these things that you've heard. Hold tight onto them and repent. There's a reason that you are dead. If you keep doing the things that you are doing now, you will continue to be dead. But I'm calling you, wake up. Strengthen what remains. Remember what you've heard. Remember what we've taught you. Remember all of this. Hold tight to it and repent. Ways got to change here. If you do not change as a church, you will continue to be dead. And he keeps going. But if you don't wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Basically, you wake up, or, or I'm going to come, and you don't want me to come. It's kind of like going to the principal's office. You know, don't make me, or like, a, like when you don't clean your room, and your mom was like, don't make me get over there. Don't make me come, right? This is kind of Jesus right here. Like, you need to remember, remember what you had. Remember what you have. Hold on to it. Repent. If you don't, I'm going I'm to come. I'm coming. And you don't know when I'm going to come. I'm going to come like a thief, and you're not going to know. There is a little bit of encouragement for this church, though. Verse 4. Yeah, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. Another one of the things that uh, Sardis does well at this time is they are one of kind of the, the leaders in making the expensive togas that people wore. They made a lot of white robes in Sardis. But Jesus says, you have a few people who have not sold their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. And just this, this phrase, they are worthy, is one of the, one of the phrases that I want our church to hear at some point. I want our church to hear from the mouth of Jesus, you are worthy. You will walk with me dressed in white because you are worthy. And he keeps going, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is a, kind of a short letter. Six, six verses here. But Jesus gets his point across. I think he gets it across pretty clearly. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. You need to wake up. You need to repent. You need to remember what you've been taught, remember what we've been given. You need to hold on to that knowledge, hold on, hold on to that, that, that right thought, hold on to this faith, and repent. You need to get back to that place. 
because I'm not done with you, he says to this church. That the, the, your deeds are unfinished in the sight of my God. There is more for this church to do in this area. Wake up. I think if there's a takeaway from this, is, is this, this church had a history of, of faithfulness, and they took their foot off the gas. This church had a history of, of doing some amazing things. And again, this church had a, a much longer history than our 100-year history here at this church. This church has been a church that's been going for, for centuries. There's a long history of this church, but they took their foot off the gas. They stopped pursuing what God had for them in favor of just kind of being comfortable. It was comfortable to, for them to live in the city of Sardis like they were living. Again, they weren't being persecuted. There was no one pressuring them to say, you need to, you need to worship this God. But you, There was none of that. They were comfortable. And I think they probably enjoyed being comfortable. But we are not called as a church to get comfortable. We should never and we can never stop pursuing what God has for us in the future. When we, when we look back on our past, like this church in Sardis looked back on their past, I'm sure, and, and just looked back on the glory days, and the best days of that church are way behind them. I, I never want to see that in our church. I never want to think that about our church. The best days of this church are not in the past. They're way in the future because God has so much stuff to do in and through our church. I think he would say the same thing to our church. I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. There is more to do for us at Fresno First Church. We can't just be comfortable. I think that's the takeaway from this for our church. As I hope we don't find ourselves just looking for the comfortable spot to be. I hope we keep pushing ourselves. I hope we keep chasing after what God has for us. Because the second we get comfortable is the second we begin to die. And I don't want this letter at Sardis to be true for this church in Fresno. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Let's continue to pursue what God has for us. Let's not get complacent. Let's not get comfortable. Let's continue to chase after God and see what he has for us. Let's never stop pressing forward. Let's never stop living in the faith that God has us to live. Let's never stop trying to be the people in the church that God wants us to be here in this area right now in Fresno, California. I don't want to be Sardis First Church of the Nazarene. It has a reputation for being alive, but we're not. Fortunately, I don't think we're there. I don't think we are a church that has a reputation for being alive, but are dead. I think we're continuing to pursue God. I think we're continuing to chase after what he has for us. Here's Here's some proof for you. This morning, we're going to baptize two more people, which means that just in the last year, we will have baptized 20 people here at this church. God is doing things here at this church. Be encouraged today. 
Don't read this letter in Sardis and be like, oh, that's us for sure. Like, no, not today, it's not. This church is not dead. This church is alive and well and moving forward. Let's continue to move and move forward and chase after what God has for us. Let's never stop connecting with other people. Let's never stop growing in our faith. Let's never stop serving our neighborhood. Let's never stop chasing after what God has for us. I'm not going to be a Sardis. I hope you're not either. I want to pray this morning. And as I pray, I'm going to ask our, uh, our worship crew to come up. And we're going, to, we're going to sing a couple more songs as we get ready for baptism. But I want you to just, as I pray, I want you to just, just think about this. As an individual, could this letter be true for you? I've already told you, I don't think it's true for our church. I think our church is pursuing God. I don't think that letter could be written to our church, but could it be written to you? Do you have a reputation for being alive but are dead? And if so, how do, we, how do I, as, a, as an individual, just continue to pursue God and pursue what he has for me? Let's pray. God, we love you. We give you thanks. We give you praise for all that you have done and all that you will do in and through our church. God, I, I thank you that, that right now I look at this letter and I don't see it at our church. I don't think this letter could be written to our church. I don't think that we are dead. We continue to pursue you. We continue to grow. We continue to, to, to change lives for you. And God, I just uh, I thank you for that. I thank you for all that you're doing. Would we continue to just remember and just be challenged and shaped by this by this passage? Would this motivate us, even in our individual lives, to, to not be a sardis, but to continue pressing forward? God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're being baptized, come on over with me. I think the water heater is not working. To... <laughs> it's all good. Nice and slow. Good morning. Uh, it's an exciting day for Aiden. Uh, Aiden wants to be baptized because he says, God is my savior and always helps me when I need him. What has God been doing in your life? He says, he's been helping me have good friends and a good family. And Aiden's favorite verse is Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. All right. Aiden, do you claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Yes. And will we be baptized into his name today? Next up is uh, Dakota. Uh, he doesn't have anything to be read, so he's going to just share this morning his testimony. I want to be baptized today so that I may show to the entire world that 
The glory of God is everywhere, and even with us still. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He guides me along the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Do you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior today? Yes, sir. And we baptize you into his name? Of course. Amen. Amen. Baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, is Jordan. There he is. Perfect. Jordan, why don't you come up and, and just uh, close us out in a word of prayer. Uh, thanks for coming today. I want to remind you, if you want to come to one-on-one class, you're, you're more than welcome to. Uh, just let me, let me know right after service so we can get food. There we go. Okay. Uh, I'll close everybody out in prayer today. Heavenly Father, what a blessed time it is to be here, to enjoy in the baptism, um, and it's just an amazing day. It's all for your will, Lord, and your glory, and we pray that as our church that we would come together and that we would be with Aiden and be with Dakota as they profess that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, and we just say amen to that, Father. We are so, so blessed, and we want to worship you, and we want to praise you today. May we go in your grace, and in your peace, and in your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, everybody, for coming this morning.